As we continue our series here in the book of Romans, I've entitled this God's Plan for the Jewish People, Part 4. We are in Romans chapter 10, and we have been seeing in Romans 9, 10, and 11, it's kind of a parenthesis in the book of Romans. Chapter 9 dealt with Israel past. Chapter 10 deals with Israel future, or excuse me, chapter 10 deals with Israel present, which is now. And then chapter 11, Israel future, past, present, and future, 9, 10, and 11. And as we pick up here in chapter 10, just in way of quick review with some of the ground that we've already covered, what do we see most? Well, let me say with what's going on in the world right now, and I don't want to talk a lot in detail because it kind of is going to date these messages then. I'd like them to, us to not be thinking about the, the things at hand right now in the world. But let me say this, regardless of what kind of uh, sickness or disease or terminal illness a person may have. Let's say for an example, a person has cancer or a person has uh, liver disease or whatever it may be. If you could give a person, if there was a pill you could give them that would immediately, completely, forever cure them of that problem, wouldn't you want to give it to them? Not only that, if you were in that situation, wouldn't you want to receive it? Imagine that, that somebody said, here's a, here's a cure for all of your ailments, for all your disease, for all of these issues, and I'll give it to you for free. Guaranteed it'll work, and it's free. Boy, people would go crazy over such a thing. Once you convince them that it was true, because we don't think in terms of those things being true today. But in fact, folks, there is a solution. There is a solution for the problems we have today. And we are going to look at that solution, and I want you to think in terms of, as we heard in this last song today, the simplicity of God's plan, because that really is what we're getting at. It is not complicated. The answer to man's problems are not complicated. God has given them to us. It is because man rejects them that it becomes complicated, or man doesn't want to go through with God's way of distributing that cure that solution. That's what makes things complicated. And so the first thing we see in Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 4, we see the need for salvation. Salvation. Now when we talk about salvation, we are talking about being delivered from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. That's the, we're looking at the eternal aspect of salvation in this, okay? The need for salvation. While the present context here in Romans 10 is the Jewish people, this is for all people because it is the solution for all people. In Romans 10 verse 1, it says this, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Notice, for who? To everyone that believeth. To everyone that believeth. In Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 38 and 39, it says... Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, referring to Jesus, 
Through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. All right? We see in Romans 10, the issue is Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believes. Believes what? Believes or trusts in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and made the complete payment for your sins so you don't have to. Believing that he came back from the dead. And when you trust in him as your only way to heaven, God gives you that moment, everlasting life. You are forgiven of all your sins. You are declared righteous from all things. That includes not only what you've done in the past, but what you do till the day you die. Yes, Jesus is the solution. He is the eternal cure for our problem. And he's offering it today to everyone. You notice you're justified from all things. Now, if we are justified from all things through faith in Christ, then what else is there for us to do? In other words, friends, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and he gives you everlasting life, you have everlasting life. For someone to come along and say, well, there's more to it than that. You also have to do this. You have to do that. Well, wait a minute. According to God, who, by the way, is the one who determines who comes in and who doesn't come into heaven, according to him, we have been declared righteous from all things. He's given us everlasting life. So if you're telling me I have to do something else to have everlasting life, simply put, friend, you're wrong because God said I already have it and it's everlasting. And so if I already have everlasting life, I have a home guaranteed in heaven for me, reserved according to 1 Peter 1, then what else do I need to do if I already have what it is I want? Doesn't make any sense. But see, religion doesn't make sense. Because religion always comes down to man has to do something. Man has to be faithful. Man has to be good. Man has to behave. Man has to reform. Man has to quit. Man has to start. And God says, no, my son did it all. You trust in my son, I will give you eternal life as a gift. And it's yours forever from that moment on. What a truth. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22, it says, But the scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of or in Jesus Christ might be given to them that who do what? Do what? Believe. Believe. You put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Verse 26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. How many people today, folks, we need to stand up against this stuff. How many people will come and say, well, that's true, but that's not the whole truth. Now, wait a minute. If God says it's true and you get what God says it is we need, which is eternal life, then for somebody to say it's not the whole truth is calling God a liar in reality. You're saying that God didn't tell you all the truth over here. Well, why would God do that? If God doesn't want people to spend eternity separated from him in hell, then why would he not be clear every time he spoke on an issue? He is clear. The problem's not God, the problem is us. We mess it up, or people mess it up. Going back to Romans 10, 
Verse four again, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Jump down to verse 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, now we covered in detail Romans 10, 9 and 10, that whole passage last week. We don't have time to cover it again. But let me say this here in uh, Romans 10, 12 and 13. This is a quote from the Old Testament prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, where it is referring to the Jewish people during the tribulation period. The tribulation period is a seven-year period of time, which is yet future, where God is going to be pouring out his wrath on the world and also upon the Jewish people, okay? Jeremiah says it is the time of Jacob's trouble. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. And it is quoted again in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, when Peter was preaching on Pentecost and telling the Jews that they were under the judgment of God because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. Every time it is used in the context, this idea of calling on the name of the Lord, every time it is used in the context of Scripture, it is used in the context of Israel under judgment. Israel under judgment. Does that not fit perfectly with Acts chapter 10? Yes, because it's talking about the present condition of the nation of Israel. Paul uses this verse here because contextually he is speaking about the Jews who were under God's judgment because they had rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Now listen carefully. In the context, calling is not a command, but an evidence of believing. And I'll prove that to you. Calling is not a command. By the way, it's not in the imperative mood. I believe it's subjective or subjunctive or whatever you want to call it. Why do I say that it's not a command, but an evidence of believing? Look at verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Do you see that? Do you see it? Now, we have seen over and over and over in our study in Romans, and even today, we've seen over and over that believing in Christ is what brings eternal life. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Again, believing or faith in Christ is what brings salvation. We saw it in verse 4. We saw it in verse 6, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, verse 14. And then we also see it in verses 16 and 17, that it's faith in Christ that brings salvation. But there are people today and say, oh no, you have to verbally call. If you don't verbally call, God won't save you. No, friend, no. Faith in Christ is what saves. Calling on the name of the Lord, that would be when you, you believe, you trust Christ as Savior, and then you would call on him. Notice the order here. The preacher preaches the gospel. The people hear, the people believe, then the people call. Do you see it? We know from the Bible that a person, though, the moment he believes, he's given everlasting life. And so calling doesn't bring salvation. No, it's a, an evidence, okay, that you have done that. Now, again, do you have to call? No. But again, it would be a mark that you had 
believed in Christ. Otherwise, why are you calling on him? Jesus said in John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. So when you believe, the moment you do, you have everlasting life. Very, very important to understand. A Jewish person to call on the name of the Lord, what would that be? That would be an evidence that they had put their faith in Christ and then they're calling out to God, right? Not to get saved, because when you believed, you were saved. This is important to understand. Let's move on. Number two, first we have seen the need for salvation, but secondly now, the method for meeting that need of salvation. Now here you go, here you go. The method of meeting that need for salvation. We see these in the following verses. I got a question for you today. Why has God left you here as a believer? I know I've shared this before, but it's worth hearing again. Many years ago when I was doing uh, youth work, working with junior high kids, I can remember once I led a, a young man to the Lord as a boy. I think he was probably 11, 12 years old. And then the next, he came back. The next week, he started coming on a regular basis. And he asked me one time, he said, let me ask you a question. I said, what is it? It's a good question. He said, he said if, uh, if when we believe God gives us everlasting life and God loves us so much, then why doesn't he, once we believe in Christ, why doesn't he just take us right to heaven if he loves us so much? It's a good question. Well, the answer is not complicated. God doesn't take us to heaven right away because he wants to use us to reach other people for Christ. Okay? Now, folks, that brings clarity to our purpose on why we are here. Why has God left us here? Here we go. Before a person can hear and believe, according to Romans 10, there must be a preacher. And that's, by the way, it doesn't have to be a formal thing like me standing up here. In other words, someone who explains the gospel clearly to that person. This takes us back in concept and in reality to chapter 1 when Paul was talking about this. I want you to hold your place here in Romans 10 because this dovetails perfectly. Romans 10, go now to Romans chapter 1. The method of meeting the need of salvation Here's how Paul saw himself. Romans chapter one, and remember, scripture's not there by accident, so this isn't just exclusively for Paul. There's something we can glean from this. In Romans chapter one and verse 14, Paul says this, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, here it is again, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It begins with faith, it ends with faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So what is Paul saying? He's saying this, I feel like I'm a debtor to let people know this message. And the fact that I'm a debtor to them, I'm ready to preach the gospel and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm a debtor, I'm ready, I'm not ashamed. Guess what? 
That's for us. We should see that we owe the world, the people around us. We owe them the gospel. We are indebted to give them the gospel. Therefore, we need to be ready to share the gospel, and we need not be ashamed of sharing the gospel. Remember, there's only one gospel of salvation. So that being true, let's go now back to Romans chapter 10, and again, verse 14. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? We've been sent, by the way. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I got a question for you today. Have you looked at your feet lately? Got another question. Are they beautiful? Let me ask you this. When is the last time you shared the gospel with someone or even handed out a tract to someone? When is the last time you did that? Okay. I say, oh, that, that, that shames me, that convicts me. Well, friend, is this not why God left us here? It is why God left us here. The sad truth is this. There has been a massive breakdown in the supply chain. We know the need, okay? There's the need of salvation. We know the method of meeting that need of salvation. It is through us sharing the message with the lost. Now, you can either do it verbally or you can do it through literature of one kind, a Bible or a tract or whatever. But sharing the gospel, trying to lead people to Christ verbally. Tracts are great, okay? Tracts can open a door with somebody as far as sharing the gospel message with them. Tracts are something you can leave with them. But even that's not a substitute for actually being able to talk with them one-on-one and try to walk them through and get them to understand the plan of salvation. We talk about this all the time. It's important Is there anything more important? No, there's nothing more important. People are freaked out right now because of the health issues in in our world. What could be more important to them to know how to have everlasting life? Massive breakdown in the delivery, the supply chain. Here's the fact. I will lead no one to Christ if all I do is live a clean life. Okay? Should we lead clean lives as Christians? Yes, we should. But if we don't open our mouths, no one will ever be saved. A good testimony is important, but that will never save anyone. I like what one man said. He said, silent Christians are like beautiful road signs with no words on them. It's a good illustration. Silent Christians are like beautiful road signs with no words on them. You know what, friend? If all we do is live a godly testimony, we'll get all the credit. But if we're not only living a godly testimony, but we're sharing the gospel of grace, Jesus gets all the credit. He's the Savior. And it's the gospel that's the power of God into salvation. Yes, my testimony, the way I live my life, can, can keep people open to the gospel. It may make them wonder, but watching me is never going to save them. 
Faith comes by hearing, as we will see here in a moment. Hearing by the word of God. No one will ever be saved without hearing the gospel, either audibly or through reading it. Look at verse 16. Again, a beautiful feat. How shall they preach except they be sent? Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, referring to the Jewish people, but really all of humanity. They have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah, or Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath, notice the word, believed our report. That's how you're saved. Verse 17. So then, faith, which is what they need, faith in Christ, so then faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Which brings us to number three, the ever-present offer of a loving Savior. The ever-present offer of a loving Savior. Verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not, I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Of course, Isaiah was a prophet. Here's, here's what's happening, folks. Understand, let's step back. And we'll get back to our point in just a moment. But here's what's happening. And and this is kind of like, this sets us up for chapter 11. I'm giving you a little preview for next week where we're going to go. As the gospel is preached, now remember this, the Jewish people, generally speaking, have rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. That's why they were judged. That's why they were scattered. That's why they've been scattered. And yes, God is bringing them back to the land, and they're setting, God is setting them there to get ready for the seven-year tribulation period. Jesus is coming very soon. But here's the point. They rejected Jesus. They were scattered under God's judgment. They've been scattered for some 2,000 years. And while it is true they're coming back, what happened? Because they rejected Christ, God had this new thing that he knew he was going to bring in, but he had not told anybody about it. It was called the church age. And the church, the body of Christ, is made up of Jew and Gentile. It was birthed, I believe, on the day of Pentecost, and it will go to the rapture of the church when the church is taken out at the rapture. Here's what's going on, though. As the gospel is preached in the world, many Gentiles have trusted Christ as their Savior. The Jews were given the truth of the gospel, but most rejected it, and that's even so today. God, though, prophesied that they would be provoked to jealousy by those who would receive it and become children of God, namely the Gentiles and those who make up the church, the body of Christ, during this age of grace in which we live. So what is God doing? Get the picture. The Jews, God's chosen people. The Messiah came, they rejected him. God judged them, they were scattered. But God says, you know what? I've got a new thing, it's called the church, and you're gonna see many Gentiles coming to know Christ as their Messiah, as their savior, 
And for you to see the blessings in their lives and how God is, is, is working in their lives and the reality of God in their life, what that's going to do is that's going to provoke you to jealousy. And that is going to be something I'm going to draw you back to myself with. And folks, that is going on during the church age. And we know this will be a major factor to bring them back to the Lord. And we'll see that in Romans chapter 11 next week. Look at verse 21. Romans 10 verse 21. But to Israel, well, let's, let's back up, let's back up. Verse 19, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, the Gentiles, and by a foolish nation will I anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. In other words, God shifted his focus to the Gentiles and this gospel. Now, it isn't that Gentiles couldn't be saved in the Old Testament, but they were not the focus. The focus was the nation of Israel. But today, Israel is on the back burner, you might say, and God is dealing with this thing called the church, which is made up mostly, not totally, but mostly of Gentiles. And of course, Jews are included in that. Verse 21, but to Israel, he saith, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Okay, a contrary people, people who refuse me, even though I am stretched out, my hands are stretched out. Oh, Israel, I want you to accept me as, as your Messiah. This is what the Lord Jesus is saying. And they have rejected, rejected, and rejected, and he's doing it all day long. Do you remember what Jesus said? If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. This is the present condition of Israel. The gospel continues to go out to the Jewish people, and yet most do not believe it. Their lost condition, listen, their lost condition is not God's fault. It is their fault. Your lost condition, if you're lost, is not God's fault. It is your fault. No one goes to hell when they die because of someone else. It is your choice whether you're going to accept Jesus Christ as your savior or not. Any individual can be saved if they want to be saved. You are being drawn by the Lord. As a matter of fact, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as savior, it's not an accident that you are here. God is drawing you. You heard this message today on purpose and God is using it to get you to understand Jesus has paid for your sins. You don't have to end up separated from him in hell. Jesus took care of it on the cross and came back from the dead. If you will put your faith, your trust in him, he will give you everlasting life as a free gift. He loves you that much. He would do that for you. Yes, he would. What have you to lose? Only one thing, hell. What have you to gain? Heaven, eternal life, and a relationship with God Almighty. And it's a free gift to anyone who would trust in Christ. You see, it is, it is sad, but an amazing truth that God is holding out the gift of eternal life to mankind, and mankind is still rejecting it and coming up with all kinds of crazy reasons to reject it. Some out of ignorance, but a lot of them out of pride, out of pride. 
Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friend, your good works can't save you. Look up here. Here we are as, as sinners. Here we are. We're sinners. This represents sin. God says he loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. To get into heaven, you have to be sinless in the eyes of God. There's not a person who's ever lived except Jesus who has been. We're all sinners, and God says our sin has to be paid for. If I pay for my sin, I will suffer for all eternity in a literal hell, and God doesn't want that for me. The wages of my sin is death, separation from God forever. My good works can't take care of it because nowhere in the Bible does it say good works pay for sin. Good works are fine, but they won't pay for sin. You have to have your sin gone to get into heaven. Therefore, the answer is not in yourself. And that's why Jesus came. This representing him, God in the flesh. When Jesus came, he took our sin upon himself. When he died on the cross, he made that payment and rose from the grave. And he says, if you will trust in him and him only as your savior, he will give you everlasting life. Your good works have nothing to do with it. The Bible's very clear. Look at it over here. For by grace are you saved, God's unmerited favor. For by grace are you saved through faith. There it is again, faith in Christ. And that not of yourselves. You're not saved of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is. Look at the next part. Not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. You may be here and you may think, you know, I can't buy this. I still believe you have to be good. You have to live a godly, right life to get to heaven. Friend, you then are trusting in your works to save you. You will not go to heaven. You will not go to heaven. The only way you can get there is understand you are completely lost, unable to save yourself, and that's why Jesus came. And when you trust in him, he gives you as a free gift eternal life in heaven. And he loves you that much to where he would do that for you. I'd say, it's, it sounds too good to be true, but it is true. And he offers it to you. And I urge you, will you trust Christ the Savior today? Let me say this. If you're already a believer, you have a responsibility, friend, to be sharing this message with the lost and dying world around us. How else are they going to get saved? Did you see those scriptures again? Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. No one will ever be saved unless they hear the gospel. No one. That's where we come in. We need to be diligent on this. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.